Merry Christmas. I hope that you're ready. Are you ready for Merry Christmas? You ready for the day? You ready? <laughs> this is going to be fun to preach to. I'm just going to look at you like you're looking at me. No. Hey, if you don't know this about our church, we are one church, but meeting in multiple places. Some people are in their slippers and their PJs watching this online, lazy people. And there's another group of people, though, that we love to welcome because they are Fountain Springers are just at a different place. If you don't know this, at the Rapid City Minimum Unit, it's a local prison here in town, is a group of guys that convene every single weekend. They sing and they even have their own uh, campus pastor there. They have, they have their own next steps corner. You hear about, they got it there too, but they hear this same message. And so I just wanted us to give a special welcome to the guys at RCMU. We're glad they're here. Yeah. And so we're going to launch that third one. So hopefully around Easter, check it out across from the fairgrounds. And, and then if you missed last weekend, I, I had a big announcement and, and you got to go watch it online. I'm not going to tell you right now. So here's what we've been doing. It is a series called Awkward Family Christmas. Your family, my family, if we all interacted, we'd learn things about each other that we think are kind of weird. And we've been walking through, though, what the Bible teaches us about family. Now, now the Bible teaches a lot of incredible things, gives us examples of well, messed up families, and gives us examples of great families. And so we've been walking through what it looks like to have a family that takes the Bible and what we know about God and actually behaves that out. So I wanted to start off with something that I, I personally enjoy. I don't know if you like late night television. I love late night television because as a parent of three, that's the only time you can watch television. And so at late night television, particularly, there's one show I enjoy to catch. And if I, I, if I can get caught up, I get caught up. It, it's the late night show. It, it's Jimmy Fallon. I don't know if any of you like Jimmy Fallon. And, yeah, see, some of you are like, yeah. Others of you are like, you horrible man. No, I, I just, I like listening and think he's funny. What he does is funny. And he does these skits and he does these, these bits that I think are funny. And one of the things that he does is, is called hashtag. Now, what he does is, if you're unfamiliar with hashtag and unfamiliar with Twitter, we don't have the time to get everyone all caught up on this, but here is my best summary of this, is you can go on Twitter and put a hashtag, that pound symbol, for those of you who still don't know what I'm talking about, and you can put a few words that create a bit of a subject line to what you're putting on social media. 
So I looked it up because I thought I was just curious. Jimmy Fallon does these hashtags, and I wondered if there was anything about Christmas, particularly awkward Christmas moments, and there was. And so just to help us get into this, I, I, I put some down that, that some of you are like, is this real? Is this like pastor joke made up? No, no, this is real. Here, here's one of them, awkward Christmas moments. This is a hashtag. My mom keeps singing to us, Santa baby. Now, if you don't know that song, you don't understand what I just said to you, but that's awkward if your mom is singing it to you. Uh, here's another one. No, Aunt Gladys, I'm not saying you're heavy and hairy. I just said, in this light, you remind me of Santa. <laughs> it could be awkward. Uh, don't get too offended by this one, but for the first time, we took our dog to my parents' house for Christmas family dinner. He got diarrhea. I'll keep moving. Uh, my favorite one. My favorite one. Uh, here he goes. This is real. Uh, my dad is making me take him to Victoria's Secrets so he can shop for mom. Just play that out in your mind for a little bit. That's weird. Some of you dads are like, you know what? I was thinking, no, don't think that. Don't go there. Don't, don't try that. Just, no, that's awkward. Uh, so what I wanted us to talk about is I want to get very specific. In fact, uh, this is a message that I haven't heard a lot about. I want us to walk through the idea that, that you and your family, me and my family, might encounter something that we're not ready for. Have you ever considered the thought that your family, and, and some of you, you, we know this, we've walked life where all of a sudden a day comes and that day, whatever occurs in that day, changes everything in the family. It, it could be bad news, it could be good news. But typically I'm referring to bad news. So I don't normally spend a lot of time titling a sermon. But it just hit me and I thought, I'm gonna name the sermon this. And so, so I wanna share with you the, the, the title of this sermon. It hits the fan. Now some of you are like, that's inappropriate for church. No, it's not when we explain this. But here's what I'm going to talk about. What are you doing? What's your plan? What happens when it, whatever it is, when it, when it plays out in life? And, and when, when I say hits the fan, that's really in reference to good things. Most of us be like, it was the most incredible day. Everything wonderful and peaceful was just hitting the fan and, and just being just wonderful. Normally, you're referring to something bad that exploded and went everywhere and got worse. So let me, let me put on your side of the table a question. Are you ready as a family for when it hits the fan? When it, whatever it is, whether it's bad news or perhaps someone betrays someone or bad grades are brought home or someone makes a poor choice or says something very poorly or just bad happens, a job gets lost and all of a sudden as a family you've convened and it's not for good, are you ready for that? Now I know some of you when you got married, you're like, well yeah, I, I declared and some of you are now five years ago, 10 years ago, 65 years ago, you're, I guess I said that when bad happened, greater or worse or better or worse, I, that we would work this out. But many of you have lived life enough that you know that if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a plan for when life unfolds in a bad way, then perhaps the bad, the it, might consume you. And so this is a bit of a, a preemptive conversation. 
Now, now, that doesn't have to be doomsday. Here's what I want you to think through and process is are you intentionally considering the future, especially the future bad days when it comes to you? And what I'll tell you and what I've learned over and over and seen this in families, the families that preemptively, that intentionally prepare for what could happen, those folks who are prepared encounter the mess in a lot more healthy way. Now, you're not new to messes. I'm not new to messes. In fact, the Bible is full of families with messes. I, I went through and just grabbed a handful, and I wanted you to hear some of these. If you're new to the Bible and you're like, I haven't read much of the Bible, I don't know a lot of the characters in the Bible, the people that I'm about to refer to, they're in your Bible, and they live some uh, interesting lives. One, Adam and Eve were the first people to mess up. It's at the beginning of your Bible. They both chose, when they both messed up, to blame other people. Uh, that gets messy, and I know some of you are like, we don't blame anybody else in our family. We own everything we do, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Noah. Noah. Noah's like the good guy. Noah built the boat. He was known as like the righteous person living on earth. And some of you have named your kids Noah. It's an awesome name. But if you read the rest of the story, Noah adds a bit of messiness when we find him as we're reading through the Bible naked and drunk and his sons find him. That's Awkward. Abraham, the forefather of our faith. Abraham, the guy who gets his name in just about everything, all the blessings. Abraham, the guy literally of the Bible that nearly anyone who ever reads the Bible, like, oh yeah, I've heard of Abraham. Abraham let another guy walk off with his wife twice. That's awkward. His wife later on let him sleep with another woman and got she got mad at her, and that creates awkwardness. Job had a nagging wife. Now, no one nudge anybody. Like, be still. <laughs> Trying to help you. Now she's looking, did you just bump me? Did you bump me? No, no Job had a nagging wife. I mean, we like to read the book of Job, especially when you're having a bad day. You want to find someone else who's having a worse day, and Job always had a worse day than you and I have. And he had a nagging wife, if you read the story for what the story unfolds for you. Isaac talked his wife into concealing their marriage. Samson had a disloyal wife who betrayed him. King Saul, some of his attributes were he was psychotic with manic bursts of anger, episodes of deep depression, and traces of paranoia. You're like, oh, that's like our family get-togethers. We got lots of that, right? Like, it's a bit awkward. King David, I mean, classic story in our Bible. King David has an affair and then covers it up by having a murder committed. I mean, the Bible oozes awkward, stupid choices, messes that or somewhat we might say, you cannot recover from such a thing. So when the Bible opens up for us and we read it and we actually look at it, you and I can learn a great deal regarding our family. And I want us to walk through some concepts regarding what do we do when it hits the fan? Because here's what I would tell you that I've learned about life. It's rarely the mess that ruins life. It's how we deal with, how we engage the mess that often ruins things. For those of you who are good at literally cleaning things up in the house, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can make it more of a mess if you don't pay attention. Same thing with relationships. If you don't engage the mess, whether you created it or someone else did, if you don't engage it right, you can create more of a mess, not just for them, but for yourself. And so we're gonna walk through the idea of creating a plan. Now, now many of you, and, and myself included, we have plans for emergencies in our life. If you've got any kids or grandkids in school, you know that those kids have emergency plans. 
as in a fire occurs, they know where to go for a fire. In these days, there's other plans that makes you sad when you think about it. The plans that they have to prepare for, the emergencies they have to prepare for. And, and we learn this. Now, now, we as a family have fire emergency plan, a fire emergency plan at our house. Now, before you think like, wow, you really thought through this, David. No, one of our kids came home from school and said we should have one because school said so. So we're like, that's a good idea. So we have a fire escape plan at our house. Now, growing up, I lived on the second story. And I remember learning about this fire ladder that you could, if, if there was a fire in your house and you lived on a, on a upstairs level, you could take the ladder, hook it onto your window, drop it down, climb down. And I thought, I want one of those so I can sneak out and for fire, and so I tried to sell it to my parents. They didn't buy that. Now, no, you should, you should. If you get anything from the sermon, you better have a fire plan now at home. Uh, and all of our kids know what to do. The two-year-old doesn't, so that's part of the plan. We go get the two-year-old. Uh, but most of us, I think, would admit that it's good to have a fire escape plan. Perhaps uh, where I come from, Kansas, we had tornado plans. Doesn't it make sense to have a mess emergency plan? Doesn't it make sense that if you encounter, and inevitably you will, a mess of some sort, whether you create it or someone else creates it, or it's just life as it unfolds, doesn't it make sense that we have all these fire plans and tornado plans? Uh, doesn't it make sense that you and I would have just a short conversation about what are we doing when, when the devil, when Satan gets a foothold or some sort of corner in our house, we should have a mess emergency plan. And so I, what I've done with this message is I'm going to give you three things. They're steps to when you encounter a mess, when it hits the fan, you say, okay, we know the first three things to do. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. These three things will not end all pain for the rest of your life. They will not all of a sudden resolve every single problem that you've ever had, but they will help you not create more damage. They will help you not lose your faith in the midst of the mess. So for those of you who are unfortunately walking through an affair, kids going in the wrong direction, a lost job, bad news from the doctor, for some of you who just simply yelled at one another somewhere in the car and, and you've got this mess now sitting inside of your family, you're going, what do we do? I hope you'll listen very intently to as the Bible unfolds. I'm gonna be in Hebrews chapter four, by the way, but I want you to begin to consider three steps to take. So, so here's the first one. This is the inevitable one. Remember that God wasn't caught off guard. I just want, just for a second, remember God wasn't caught off guard. God was not caught off guard by the moment that occurred in your family. He was not going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. He wasn't all of a sudden saying, now what happened? Explain to me the details. I, no, it's God. God. God sees everything, knows everything. Remember, God wasn't caught off guard. Now, the Bible unfolds this for you. This is not just made up. This is in Hebrews. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. I mean, just, just sit with that for a moment. Nothing. Nothing. Now, some of us think, oh, I know. Someone held that over my head, and every bad thing I ever done in my life, I knew God was watching. No, no, no. Think about it in the sense that it can actually give you peace. Nothing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. If you wonder, did God see what they did to you? Yeah, he saw it. And chances are, it broke his heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable 
God was not caught off guard by whatever's going on in your life or what will go on in your life. Now, now that's what happens to us. That's how you and I think in the midst of emergency. When you have a mess go on, you wonder who knows because you want the right people to know. And, and so in our home, we have things like this, right? Ho- hopefully you have this. See, some of this is a very practical sermon for you. You're like, we need a fire escape plan and we need to replace the batteries in the smoke detectors. I mean, in theory, you have these in your house and, and if you hold it down long enough, you can, uh, well, ah, that just, yeah, sorry. You've got those. So the theory is this, is that you have these in your house. If all of a sudden there's a fire, smoke will hit those and those will beep. And then all of a sudden, we, you will gather. You're hoping everybody knows what's going on, so then you convene. You need to know regarding your mess. God doesn't need one of these. God doesn't need you to sound the alarm for him to know what's going on in your life. The Bible unfolds in a way that we're able to grab a hold of the fact that God is well aware of what's going on in your life. I think that's the first doubt that occurs. When you have a mess, you wonder, does God know it? does God care? Yes, he does. In fact, in Psalm, one of the most beautiful parts of this is written, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you're like, he cares? Evidently he does. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. I love that part. Too great for me to understand. You were thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. God knows everything about me all the time. And the Bible even unfolds. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows everything about you. He knew about you before you even were conceived. God knows you and he knows your mess. Don't think of that as a condemnation moment. Think of it as a blessing moment where you're like, oh my goodness, the creator of all, the God of all knows everything about me. This is absolutely amazing. So if you want the first step, when when it hits the fan, you're like, David, what do we do? When it hits the fan, the best thing to do is remember that God was not caught off guard and it's good to have a conversation to tell him, you know that he knows. Like he cares? Oh yeah, I think so. In fact, I can tell you personally, times that I've had a mess, I encounter a Monday as we call them, I go to God and say, God, I, I can't handle this. I know you're aware of this. I was totally caught off guard by this, God. But I know that you weren't. Remind me of that, God, over and over and over again. If you're going through a mess, or when you do, it's pivotal that in your mess emergency plan, you remember that God is well aware of everything unfolding. And he hasn't abandoned you or walked away from you. Now, let me tell you the next step. Grab your beliefs. Now, we've told our kids, because they've asked, what can I take with me when the fire alarms go off? Nothing. Take nothing. Even stuffed animals? No. Don't take, even one stuffed, no, don't take them. But in this mess emergency plan, you not only need to remember that God was not caught off guard, as Hebrews tells us, so to say he knows everything, but, but you need to grab your beliefs. Here's where I grabbed this from in, in Hebrews, same passage. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, listen, 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 let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. I would contend this, that most families, when they encounter messes, there's at least one person in that family who does not hold firmly to what they believe. In fact, if we get real open, I think some messes are caused when someone didn't hold to what they actually believe. 
What I'm trying to help us all grab a hold of is God knows what's going on, but even in the mess, the storm, whatever you want to call it, you need to grab a hold of what you believe and what you believe will be challenged by the storm that you're in. Let me be open with you, real open with you, actually. Uh, There's a moment in, in Katie and I's life, a season in our life that some of you know about. It was before we were married. In fact, we were dating, we were falling in love. It was all ooey-gooey, walks in the park, long talks. It was just really sappy. It was a classic chick flick in real life. (laughs) And we were just falling in love, and it was an incredible, awesome season. She was going to college at the time. I was a youth pastor at the time, and it was amazing. We, we got out of order. We, we left God's plan, not intentionally saying, God, we don't want to follow your plan, but we chose our own path and got things out of order. And even though we were in love and being a part of what God wanted us to be a part of, uh, we found out and discovered that we were expecting a child on the way. We were married. Now, I've told you this before. I mean, that's one thing for anyone to have encountered in their life, but for a pastor, it's a whole nother thing. And so what Katie and I did in that moment was very simple. She went to spend some time with her family, just a few days, and I went to spend time with my family for a few days. We didn't know what decisions we would make. It was a mess. I was resigning from my job. It was catastrophic to many of us. As we're going through, I ruined relationships, betrayed a lot of people. It's not what they expected, and it's not what Katie and I had intended for our life. We loved each other, but there's an order that God says is best. And so... We reconvened after a few days, and Katie and I were in love, and we marked down, we said, we've got to lock into what we actually believe about life. So that's what Katie and I did, and I know this may sound elementary and maybe even dry to some of you, but it has changed our lives. Katie and I got together, and we made a list. On that list, we wrote down what we believe. Now you're thinking, oh, you got awfully spiritual in this moment. No, not all of them were about how we believe in God. Actually, one of the things that we wrote down is we believe Katie should finish college. We had heard many stories, and and many of us have those own stories, where where something, a mess you encountered, stopped you from achieving and going after what you wanted to. And we believe with all of our hearts that our decisions going out of order should not rob Katie of her college degree that she was in the midst of getting. So we wrote on that list, we believe Katie should finish her degree. Uh, A few other things. We believe that we should try to reconcile every broken relationship that we could. Uh, One of them you know about now, obviously, because I'm in front of you. One of the things that we wrote is we did not believe that our sin would keep us away from what God intended for our lives. We believed one day that we could still be a part of a church that would show people who Jesus is. So we wrote this list. Of course, on the list, we believe God exists. We believe that God sent his one and only son to die for us and that, that our sins, as, as bad as our sins are, that, that God had a plan for those. And we believe not only that God forgives us, that he loves us. We wrote all that down on a list because we had to write that down on a list because frankly, when you're in the middle of a mess, you wonder what you believe. You do. Every one of us knows that. And in the midst of a mess or a problem, what you believe and what you've locked onto, you wonder, do I really? Am I really willing to fight for what I believe? And so what I'm going to urge you to do intentionally is to write down what you believe as a family. Jake did a great job during this series. If you missed that message, go watch it. And he talks about a family's core values. 
even spoke to the scripture, the part in the Bible that in Deuteronomy that talks about, you know, writing all over the walls uh, in a good way, uh, writing all over the walls who God is and what he's done. And so one of the practical tips I can offer you is to declare what you believe and don't wait for the mess to just simply test it, have it declared early. And so here's the practical tip. Katie and I have not only written on a list what we believe, but we've put it on our walls as well. Even as specifically as our kids. If you go to our kids' rooms, which that would be weird, don't do that. But we've got three kids, and in each of their rooms, there's a scripture verse that is displayed that we've locked on for that child. Because here's what I want to happen. That when we encounter a mess, which is inevitable in every family, I want to be sitting at the kitchen table, and I want to be able to, without trying to regain with my mind being so convoluted based on the circumstances, I want to be able to look at a wall and be like, you know what, that scripture's true. We're going to claim, we do believe that God forgives everybody. And so in our house, there's even a chalkboard, a small chalkboard. But most of the time on that chalkboard is a verse or just the truth about God that we constantly need to remind ourselves. If you think you're smart enough to not need reminded, I'm here to remind you that you need reminded. And you need to put in front of you what you believe because when it hits the fan, things get foggy, confusing. Emotions rise to the top and you're in jeopardy of saying things that you're going to regret. You're going to add to the mess. And what I'm telling you, and the Bible teaches this, is hold firmly to what you believe. And the only way that I would contend that you can hold firmly to what you believe is to intentionally put it in front of you. It seems elementary. It seems so simple. But I would argue with you, it's one of the most profound things we've ever done as a family. Uh, let, me, let me finish this on, regarding that. The, the last part, the third step to our mess emergency plan, get and give grace. Now, I worded this intentionally, and so I wanted to point it out. I didn't put give grace first. Now, I know the Bible teaches us to give grace, right? But I would contend that if you read enough about Jesus, that Jesus talks about that they are correlating together how you get it and how you give it. And many of us are quick to say, okay, who we're going to give grace to and, and who we're not. I would tell you that who you give grace to and, and okay, who you don't, <laughs> who you choose to forgive and, and who you don't hinges on how you got grace. So let me ask you, have you owned the grace that God has given you? Let me show you again in Hebrews. Hebrews has been unpacking this for us. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Ah, so good to hear. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Remember that part. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You can go boldly to God even when you mess up. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Isn't that what messes bring about? Is a great need when we need it the most of grace. We need grace. We need grace like crazy. And I don't want you to leap over something that is very profound. So here's the reality. You and I have sinned. We've sinned and, and we need grace. Now you may not be familiar with church or the Bible or God like sin. What's sin? Is that like when you do something that's just horrible and you begin to get into the specifics of, of this or that. Let me, let me show you how the Bible defines sin based on the original language. Sin is to miss the mark. If you're a hunter, you're like, hmm, now I understand. <laughs> to miss the mark. 
When you sin, what you've done is you've missed the mark that God intended you to hit. And so when you have a mess in your life and it's been because of a choice, someone missed the mark and there's sin. Every one of us is guilty of missing the mark at least once in our lives. We confess up to that. And the Bible tells us that when you miss the mark, the reaction is not to run from God and think he's going to hate you. When you miss the mark, the, the, the design is not for you to abandon your family and say, forget this, that we can't recover from this. Uh, when you miss the mark, especially with family, the goal is to receive the grace God has for you and to give it. So this sermon, this conversation, it kind of puts us in two separate categories. Some of you, for the first time ever, need to own the grace that God offers you. If you don't know what happened, I'll explain it. See, you missed the mark, I missed the mark, and the deal is God's never missed the mark. God has never sinned. And for you and I to order to be with God, someone had to cover that sin, pay the debt for that sin, so he sent Jesus. And we're in this season of celebrating Christmas. What it is is we're celebrating the coming of the Savior, the one coming to fix the problem that we created called sin, covering our sin. And so when you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you are saved. And some of us have never owned that grace. You've never just said, I declare to you, God, that I'm sorry for my sins. I own this. But, but some of you, you've done that and, and you've locked that in. There's another group of us that need to consider grace regarding our family. Now, some of you will interpret what I'm about to say to you as though you're, you're supposed to forget what they did to you. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying no matter whether you remember or not, which I think you will, are you gonna hold it against them the rest of their lives? See, you need to consider this as you've received grace from God undeservedly. What about giving it to folks in your family? What about in the midst of your mess emergency plan? You remember that God's not caught off guard and you're gonna grab a hold of your beliefs, but then you sit at that table with each other going, I know what I believe, I know God's aware of this, and I am going to readily give grace to whoever sits with me at the table. Now, some of you are like, I don't wanna do that, and I understand the emotions, but if you want to keep your family together, you'll consider bringing grace to the table with you 